Welcome to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Recorded in 1992, Case Western Reserve University's professors Roy Baumeister, PhD Psychology, and Jetsy Spray, PhD Sociology, contemplate the paradoxical question of parenthood. If having children reduces happiness and stresses marriages, why do people do it? We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and don't forget to subscribe to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Hello, my name is Arlene Stilwell, and I'd like to welcome you to the campus studios of Case Western Reserve University. Our topic for today is the parenthood paradox. Here to discuss it are Roy Baumeister, professor of psychology and author of The Meanings of Life, and Yetzi Spray, professor emeritus of sociology and editor for many years of the Journal of Marriage and the Family. Thank you. The Parenthood Paradox is based on three facts. First, people want to be happy. Second, people want to have children. And third, having children significantly reduces happiness. The third one's the kicker. Uh, it means that the first two are in conflict, that the pursuit of happiness uh, doesn't jive well with the desire to have children. So why do people go on having children uh, when to do so is going to have a negative effect on, on their, their happiness in life? Uh, that's our, our, our topic and our problem for today. Um, now, the social sciences have a small mountain of data uh, regarding happiness that collected over the years. And uh, when they started, uh, social scientists had fairly obvious hypotheses about what the happy life consists of. It consists of having a good job, having a lot of money, uh, being married, and having children. Uh, and as they started to test these, uh, things went along very much according to plan. First, uh, people who had jobs are happier than the unemployed. Uh, second, people who had a lot of money are happier than people who are poor. Uh, third, uh, married people are, are quite a bit uh, happier than uh, single people. But when they got to the fourth one, having children, there was a bombshell uh, that the initial studies uh, tended to find the, the opposite was true, uh, namely that um, having children significantly reduced happiness and people who didn't have children uh, seemed to be happier. And this was very surprising with the, uh, the first set of findings because back then the idea of voluntary childlessness uh, was not common in the society. So the main body of people who didn't have children were the people who had discovered, usually to their severe disappointment, that they were infertile. Uh, they, uh, what set them apart from the majority was this, this major disappointment in life of not being able to reproduce. Uh, and yet they ended up being happier than others. Now, Yetzi, you were uh, editor of uh, Journal of Marriage and the Family when a lot of this uh, key research was being published. And uh, why don't we first go through some of the findings that, uh, that, that look at the compared uh, the effects of children uh, on, on, on happiness. Uh, one, as I said, was simply the initial survey studies. Uh, and uh, of course, one doesn't just uh, stay with the first time a finding that emerges contrary to what one expected. Uh, one goes and, and, and checks it out again. So what else did they find? They, they did uh, lifespan research, uh, sort of broke the, uh, the adult lifespan down into phases based on the role transitions. Uh, and so the, the standard program kind of goes like this. There's the, the swinging single phase of life, which uh, supposedly you know, the adult unmarried phase has a reputation for being a wonderful time. But in fact, people are not very happy at this, uh, at this phase of life. Uh, then um, people get married, uh, and the interval uh, from wedding to the birth of the first child was an extremely happy time. The newlywed 
uh, phase of life, which has a positive reputation also, this does deserve its reputation. And, and in fact, for women, uh, the statistics say that this is the single happiest phase of life between uh, the wedding day and the birth of the first child. It, it's, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, happiness goes down with the birth of the first child and basically stays low uh, until the last child leaves home. Then there comes the empty nest phase between uh, the, the last child leaving home and the death of one of the spouses. This, this phase has a terrible reputation, uh, and yet it's often a very happy phase. And in fact, for men, uh, it is the single happiest phase in life, that last interval when the children are gone and you're living uh, together uh, with, the, uh, with the spouse. And then uh, when one spouse dies, the happiness of the other goes down uh, to some degree. Uh, so that was the basic uh, uh, set of findings that showed uh, uh, Getting married and living with your spouse basically increases happiness, but having children, having children living with you in particular, uh, that reduces happiness. Uh, what else do we have uh, in, the, in these findings? Well, that sums it, uh, that sums it up. Uh, what, it, what it doesn't do is uh, dot the I's, so to speak. In other words, uh, basically what you're saying is that uh, as long as, that the first child is a shock. <laughs> to regardless of how you slice it and regardless of how uh, welcome the child is and people have been looking forward to it especially of course uh, grandparents and in-laws but it comes as I think the term bombshell and especially one that is uh, perpetually wet and noisy is, is a good uh, description of it now people get used to that uh, over the years but there is no question about it that if you then, during that the period of, of, of having a child at home, having it grow up, uh, if you start peop asking people about how happy they are, how satisfied, that they may not score as high. Don't forget we're dealing with, with relatively crude measures here, quantitative scales. At a certain point, you find that the youngest child leaves home after finishing what also is considered to be a relatively problematic uh, period in life, the teenage years, uh, during which young people sometimes seem to resign from the human race and then <laughs> later return to it. When they're gone, the next time a sociologist comes by with his scales, you see, statistically speaking, you see a significant increase in happiness. And as we talked about this before, uh, one of the uh, the factors that supports this contention that, that really it's the absence of the children uh, in the daily lives that is, is a cause here is that there's have some studies made. I'm thinking of my colleague and friend Felix Barardo in uh, Florida who did that a number of years ago who showed that when uh, adult children return for whatever reason to the parental home for an extended period of time, happiness decreases again. Mm -hmm. Because again, uh, marriage is is a, is a perpetual, and especially family life is a perpetual problem-solving uh, situation. And visiting is one thing; moving back in is another one. And yeah. we saw very clear the statistics show that sense of statistics. Statistics are a fairly sensitive thermometer almost of the family temperature. Right. So having children, adult children off somewhere else is fine, but when right. they move back in, that's another blow to happiness. Uh, some of the other exceptions to the standard lifespan would be 
the people who are married and don't have children. I mean, one suggestion was, well, maybe people are happy in their 20s and in their 30s, so they get backaches or whatever, and maybe just happiness goes down with the age and that it's not the children. But people who don't have children through this age, they don't show that drop in happiness. Uh, married without, uh, without children is one of the happiest uh, uh, sets of population by the, or conversely, uh, people who have children and aren't married, uh, the single parents, these are among the unhappiest people in the population. In some studies, they, uh, their happiness is comparable to the, the unemployed. I mean, this is a, this is a rough life. I, uh, I always uh, <laughs> tell my, uh, my students, particularly the women, when we lecture on this, that uh, uh, when you get married, don't rush into having that first child for two reasons. First, that interval is the happiest phase of your life. You might as well enjoy it while you've got it. And second, you want to be sure that you can count on the husband, because usually uh, the woman gets the child or gets stuck with the child, however you want to look at it. And being a single parent is a very rough life. And you want to be sure that uh, your partner will be around there uh, throughout that phase, uh, because at least uh, operates as a buffer. So you know, putting all these things together, it really shows that marriage increases happiness, as, as one always expected. But having children uh, is a, a fairly uh, substantial negative. Uh, and um, well, some, some parts of the population are affected more than others. Some things interact with this. Uh, I mean, we mentioned the single parent. Another thing is money problems. Uh, if you're wealthy, uh, of course, uh, you can hire help and so on. Uh, I mean, you were, you were talking earlier about uh, Murphy Brown and uh, this, this, this latest stir here. Uh, there, being a single parent is not such a bad problem if you, uh, or even being a married parent, is not such a problem if you can afford to have help and afford to have a lot of the things taken, uh, taken into control of. But uh, if you're under stress because of a shortage of money already, then adding a child to that is going to uh, increase the problem. I think that, uh, that goes into... Yeah, I think what you're saying is that uh, if you start making generalizations here, of course, you always have to say it depends. Uh, you know, there's an old saying that you can't buy happiness with money, but there's another saying that says it makes being unhappy a lot easier. <laughs> uh, so if you are in the, in the Murphy-Brown stage, if you have enough uh, money to hire help, or, uh, or if you have, uh, you have, for instance, now increasingly you have uh, dual career families where both parties are making sufficient money that they can provide uh, help or higher help, provide other additional support. In other traditional settings, of course, the old community settings, when there were mothers-in-law, grandparents, unmarried mm -hmm. uh, relatives available. So there, you would immediately see the effects of that. I think the, the category that you singled out are frequently uh, young, recently divorced uh, mothers who are being stuck with the financial uh, burden of raising children who do not have enough uh, uh, support from the, uh, the father who uh, frequently tends to uh, simply disappear from the scene financially as well and emotionally. And no wonder that on the, that is one, a very general finding that that particular category of, of people is, is exploited in, in a variety of ways. And that shows uh, when mm -hmm. people ask them questions about their happiness. Uh, in the long run, they may, again, they may get used to it, but it certainly is not an happy phase mm -hmm. in one's life. You mentioned the crudeness of the instruments, but it seems to show up however they measure it. I mean, at, at the opposite of a carefully designed scientific survey with uh, sampling and all that, 
you know, these sort of write-in things. And I think uh, Ann Landers are one of those. Uh, did some uh, polls of her readers just write in and tell me. And she found the same thing. When she asked people, would you marry the same person over again, uh, the majority said yes. And these are just people who care enough to write. She said, would you have children again? The majority said no, which was like three quarters. And this was a big shock to her. So I mean, there's, that's obviously not a sample. It's just a lot of people, yeah. presumably of pro-family readership, who uh, follows her column and cares enough to bother to write in. And yet the same, the same result. Now basically, when, when social scientists first discovered this effect of having children on happiness, they couldn't believe it. And they looked over and over again to see if there was something wrong with the way they were asking the questions and so on. Uh, and then when that became clear that that wasn't the case, then they started looking for exceptions uh, and looking for special groups of maybe people who are from large families who want to have families, them, large families themselves, and so on. And they still weren't able to find any exceptions. There are some, there are some differences. It's not a constant uh, people who have uh, baby girls are uh, uh, not as stressed out as people who have baby boys, and uh, two kids are more stressful than one, and so on. Uh, but uh, uh, the best it seems to ho the hope for as a, as a general category, as a general group, is, is sort of no change in happiness. Now, there may be isolated individuals who, uh, who actually show an increase in happiness, but any of the categories that, that sociologists or, or psychologists use uh, seem not to show any systematic increase in happiness with the birth of the child. No, and I think to get back to your earlier point, uh, especially 20 years ago when some of these statistics started popping up, uh, the social scientists, uh, who are often more social than scientific, uh, were caught in the same mythology, uh, that, that which is very much part of our culture, that parenthood means happiness, especially voluntary parenthood. We have known for a long time that what it was called, uh, I think, 25 years ago, euphemistically forced marriage, uh, mm -hmm. was always a very risky, mm -hmm. uh, and especially at an early age, was always characterized and associated with unusually divorce rates from between 60 and 70 percent, where you basically, if you put your money on, on those marriages, you might as well bet <laughs> on a divorce. But so you yes. had the high risk categories. So yeah. It makes a tremendous amount of difference. Uh, uh, for having two people decide consciously and voluntarily to start a family. Mm -hmm. And especially, again, I think at the present time when both parties are working and it means that yeah. one party, and especially often uh, the wife, will have to sacrifice some of her career. Right. Yeah. That's a voluntary decision. Then people are more willing to put themselves out and to put up with Right. A period that is going to be stressful and not necessarily as happy. Yes. And it's interesting in a way that you said, and sometimes even under those conditions, when they look back at it, they say, well, if we could do it all over again, yeah. uh, we might have fewer ones or we may remain uh, voluntarily without uh, children. But that's, of course, is, is uh, hindsight. Yeah, uh, yeah it's playing the hypothetical yeah, games. Yeah. The, uh, the forced marriages are the, you know, the case where they become pregnant and have to get married because of that. That's, uh, that's tragic for a number of reasons. I mean, it's a, a bad bet as a marriage, partly because they're often just teenagers. But this research has sort of shed a new light on that tragedy, which is that they miss out on this very happy phase in Quite, life yeah. of being married and together without having children, yeah. uh, and because the, the baby arrives there fairly soon after the marriage and, and so on. And that brings up another point. The effects. The way children affect happiness, there seem to be two paths, as far as I can tell from reading the, the research literature. One is a direct effect, that just having that stress and strain and worry and problems and so on, that reduces happiness. And another is an indirect one, because marriage by itself is one of the biggest positive 
sources of happiness, and yet having children uh, interferes with the quality of the marriage. And uh, lots of data have looked at that in particular, the effects of having children on the marriage. And although people think that having children will improve the marriage, uh, the actuality is, is quite different, that it adds a lot of conflict, uh, impairs communication, uh, and, 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 and so forth. Um, I mean, in psychology, when we think of marital communication, we tend to think of, of, of sex uh, as the first thing. And of course, uh, it, it, it is clear that uh, uh, marital sex life does suffer uh, with the birth of the child and that there are times and places that are suddenly no longer uh, available for sex. Uh, but uh, even just talking, uh, interactions, that's apparently degraded by presence of children as well. I think uh, a sociologist uh, did a study in a shopping mall just observing middle-aged couples uh, walking in the mall and seeing if they were talking to each other or not. And the ones who had children there didn't talk to each other nearly as much as the ones who were by themselves. And I think that captures as much as anything uh, some of the impairment of the, the, the contact and intimacy and communication uh, caused uh, by children. Yeah, and it also raises the, the, the issue of skill, of course. If you uh, have children and you don't want them around all the time, don't take them to a restaurant, especially when they're <laughs> little. Yes. And don't feel obligated to because they're going to be a pain in the neck. They may embarrass you. And besides, as you say, you may not have the opportunity to uh, talk uh, to one another. And here again, I can't say that enough, uh, whether or not people will be successful in maintaining some type of equilibrium depends very, most often on their skills, on their interpersonal skills, the degree to which they uh, are willing to leave the children at home for a weekend sometimes without feeling overly guilty uh, and taking off uh, for a weekend, the degree to which they are willing to go to the movies without carrying a child that probably might scream or something like mm -hmm. that. That kind of thing is, of course, a factor. And about, about those skills, we still know very little. Mm -hmm. We do know that some people are better at it than others, really. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Many couples, it seems like they're able to maintain during this newlywed phase, maintain a very progressive relationship. People develop good relationship skills. They have practice all through the courting uh, and so on. And so they uh, are able to sustain that and sustain the modern ideals of uh, uh, equality and uh, uh, tolerance and support for both careers yeah. through the newlywed phase, as long as there are no children. But as soon as the child is born, uh, studies show that uh, suddenly the sex roles revert to becoming much more traditional. Uh, which means, uh, to some extent, the man goes and hides out in his office, and, uh, and the woman gets stuck with the, uh, the unpleasant duties of, uh, of child care. And, uh, and, and in that way, too, that's a big disappointment to uh, and a shock to, to many people, particularly the, the women who are involved, who thought they understood how their marriage was working, uh, and yet find that the terms suddenly very drastically changed on them with this, this addition of the child. Yeah, you're, in, you're literally in a new situation, really. And yeah. the. Uh, a situation that can, in the long run, of course, be very, uh, you know, especially when the children are away from home and you get older and you need, they are uh, your equals, uh, then uh, that can be very rewarding. But the intermediary period, maybe, yeah, is, is more stressful. It is also more anxiety, even if your kids are away from home and they're, uh, they're teenagers, they're out with the car. Maybe you, you, you can't sleep because you worry about what they're going yeah. to do to them to themselves, and so on and so forth. And most of us recognize that, and we mm -hmm. know that. There's no question about it. Okay. Well, let's move on now to the second question, which is why? How can we explain this, uh, this effect and this continued interest in having children? I mean, uh, 
people have been having children since the dawn of time. Uh, if uh, <laughs> they should have caught on by now that uh, children are bad for happiness, and why are people still so eager to 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 do this, or why is it uh, not a concern to them you know, that, uh, uh, that 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 they're going to be a cost to their happiness? And I think there's several different answers to this. Any, any phenomenon that this powerful and this common is likely to have multiple explanations. Uh, one that's uh, become increasingly uh, persuasive to me uh, a couple years ago when I started uh, working on this book on meanings of life, um, tried to understand how people make life meaningful. And it became clear fairly early in the project that being happy and having a meaningful life are not the same thing, and that it's, it's very possible to have a highly meaningful life uh, that's not a happy life, for example, uh, as a revolutionary or as a missionary or someone who's you know, in, in very stressful circumstances. And people will seek that out. They will choose it. The desire for meaning sometimes takes precedence over the desire for happiness. Uh, I mean, obviously, people would like to have both. Uh, but uh, in, in, in some cases, when they have to choose, they will uh, take the meaningful life. And so although children may be a negative effect on happiness, uh, they're a very powerful, positive source of meaning in life. And uh, the conclusions, some of the conclusions I came to in, in working on that, on that book was that the, if you take all the data about how people find meaning in life, they can be sorted into four broad categories, four needs for meaning, that, that what people want in order to feel that their life is adequately meaningful. And these are people need uh, some purpose to aim for, some sort of goals or fulfillment states to strive for. They need some values to tell them what's right and wrong and uh, what, what, what's good and enable them to justify their acts. They need some sense of making a difference, of having efficacy, and some source of self-worth. Now, if you analyze those, all four of those uh, can be satisfied to some degree by having children. Children provide tons of purposes, short-term and long-term, from getting a new pair of shoes and getting through to the weekend uh, to saving for college and uh, getting someone launched in a career. So purposes are, are abundantly supplied by having children. Values, uh, this is uh, the biggest area of problem in modern life in terms of making a meaningful life. Uh, and yet children are a tremendously powerful source of values, the, uh, uh, doing something for the sake of children or the children's welfare or taking care of people. Accept that as a basic value. Uh, and uh, we see even the, the election going on now and all this discussion of family values. That's partly, again, reflecting this, this general assumption that people believe having children is a positive, positive good and that caring for their children, taking care of providing, that's something that's highly justified and something highly desirable. The third need, efficacy, there is a little complicated. Uh, my sense of uh, what, what the research shows is that in the short run, parents sometimes feel helpless, you know, that there's a feeling that you can't really accomplish anything uh, because sometimes it's frustrating or the kid doesn't turn out the way you wanted or things aren't uh, taken properly. But in the long run, there's this tremendous sense of efficacy and that you created another human being and molded him or her into a citizen of society and, and, and turned him loose. And often people you know, reach the end of their careers having written a lot of memos and feel that, well, what did I really do? But you reach the end of parenthood and there are two other or four or six or whatever uh, people, members of the society, presumably functioning well and so on. And that's a tremendous feeling of uh, having made a difference and having uh, achieved something. And self-worth, of course, uh, people take a lot of pride in their children and so on. That's, uh, uh, that's not at all a, a controversial assertion. So children are very powerful uh, at providing, uh, providing people with meanings in life. Now, a number of other factors may contribute to go along with that. I, I think that's probably the single most important one. Uh, we talk about effort justification, that uh, people have to 
anything they work really hard for, they're motivated to believe is, uh, uh, is good. And so they put a lot of time and effort and suffering and expense and so on uh, into their children. And so they have some strong desire to believe that, uh, uh, that this was worth doing and has made them uh, better people and so on. Uh, but there's also the issue of, uh, of the, the input from the culture. And that's something you're probably uh, better prepared to talk about than I am. As a, as a sociologist, you'd have a better grasp of culture. The culture clearly wants people to have children. Uh, and, uh, and encourages this. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, I, looking at it from my point of view, I put most of what you said, all your points, in a cultural context. People are born without meanings and without understanding and sense of meaning, unless you believe that this is sort of, that we're biologically programmed that way and we don't believe that anymore, or not certainly to a very large degree. So what we are, we are constantly, when we grow up and when we our adults, we are confronted with a culture in which self-worth and meaning can be derived from parenthood. It's as simple as that. And in which uh, traditionally, and cultures, of course, is basically the, wisdom, the accumulated wisdom of a society mm -hmm. in which every society has a vested interest. If people don't reproduce, the society disappears. Yes. It's as simple as that. Yes. Animals do it biologically. They go in heat. We don't. Humans are among the very few animals who do not go in heat. Right. Now, you could say that's because they are perpetually in heat. But the fact of the matter is that. So we need a culture that defines for us and if you travel across the world in, in remarkably different ways, but all comes down to the fact that it is beneficial and it is uh, to us and to the society helpful, leads to self-worth, to reproduce. Yes. At, and at the present time in our co contemporary society, we finally reach the stage that we, don't, uh, that we are beginning to understand that it doesn't mean 12 children, it can be two or one. And even for those who do not reproduce right. at all, there is possibility to work with other people's children. Yes. But that's just the beginning. Our culture is, is, is saturated with pronatalist yes. values. Yes. Now, when we argue something's cultural, there's some obligation to show that there's a cultural relativity to it. And uh, sure enough, uh, evidence suggests that the, the, this parenthood paradox, but particularly the negative effect of having children on happiness, is culturally relative. That other cultures, and particularly other historical periods, didn't show that. And in fact, if you go back even a couple centuries in our own culture, uh, having children was really linked to the good life. And that was before there was Social Security or pensions or Medicare or all these things to take care of people. People really depended on their children to take care of them yeah. in their old age. Uh, and so you really were happier to have children. And there's some uh, suggestion that uh, with the practices of fostering out and so on, possibly some of the uh, the stresses and anxieties and so on weren't, weren't present as well. So this idea of children being a negative effect on happiness, this is a modern Western phenomenon. Would you, would you say that's a fair uh, statement? Yeah, that, uh, because we have the luxury of being able to, to be unhappy without mm -hmm. kids. Don't forget, if you go back to the 17th century, even in Europe, middle class Europe, out of every uh, eight children born, only two in all likelihood, survive to the age, statistically speaking, <laughs> yes. of uh, being able to have children themselves. So people were reproducing against uh, uh, the Grim Reaper, so to yes. speak. Now, at the present time, yes. a child that's born in, in Western society uh, has more than 90% chance of survival, statistically speaking. Yes. So we are uh, living in a world of, of reproductive affluence. So yes. we begin. 
to pay well, more attention to yeah. a different kind of sense of happiness. Yeah, really. exactly. I mean, one argument that historians make, and it is controversial, is that people didn't get as emotionally attached to their children back then because since half or more would die, yeah, Felix, you just uh, couldn't, yes, couldn't afford it. Yeah. was one of yeah. the, the classics there. Yeah. And others have, have, have argued to some degree, but it would certainly fit the view that uh, since nowadays you just don't expect a child to die ever, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's such a shock if it would happen. Great. You get emotionally involved with the child right from birth, and so if the kid doesn't die, but maybe uh, doesn't turn out well and turns out to be a mediocre student instead of whatever your dreams were for it, that this is much more crushing and disappointing because you're right. so emotionally right. tied. It, it's, yeah. it's at least plausible. It's a, mm -hmm. obviously a speculation. Um, now, in arguing that culture wants people to believe this, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's true and that's undeniable, but culture can't just fool people into believing whatever it wants. And people sometimes see through these things that the culture's best interests might promote but uh, don't fit with people. So somehow people have to cooperate with this. Now, there's some interesting self-deception patterns that seem to, to go along, that uh, people somehow they believe that uh, children actually increase the happiness of your life. If you ask them what have been the effects of having children on your life, most people will say they're all to the good, they're all positive, even though the data show overwhelmingly uh, that, the, that the opposite is the case. And so you wonder, well, how can people persuade themselves uh, <laughs> the opposite of what's true? And yet they can. There are certain mechanisms people use for, for uh, fooling themselves or getting themselves to believe what they want. Uh, one thing is people just forget the bad things and remember the good things. Um, my, my sense of that, uh, you know, when we're talking about having children reducing happiness, it's not that just simply every day is a little worse uh, if you have children if you don't. Uh, on the contrary, it means that there's more of a roller coaster and that there are more ups and downs. Children add variance uh, to your happiness rather than having a simple uh, constant effect. Uh, and so when you're living by yourself or you're living with just a spouse, life can go on pretty much an even keel, but that even keel goes out the window once you have children and, the, and there are thus a lot of goods and bads that are added. Now, when people look back, uh, if they could add up both the goods and the bads, maybe they could do that and say, well, I guess the bads outweigh the good. But that's not uh, the way people think. Uh, instead, uh, they look back and only see the goods or emphasize the goods and forget the bads. There's another effect we have in psychology, it's pretty well documented, it's called confirmation bias, uh, that when people have a belief or a theory, they look for evidence that confirms it and not for evidence that doesn't confirm it. And that's how stereotypes and, and prejudices and so on get perpetuated. Well, you can apply that here too. When you look back, you have the belief that children are going to increase happiness. You look back on your life and you're looking only for really happy times caused by the children. And you remember that first day bringing the baby home from the hospital or the, the child's graduation or uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day and you know a few lovely happy uh, family dinners and so on. And yes, you remember all these happy times uh, if you were looking back with the opposite point of view, saying, well, can I remember all the things that uh, children uh, messed things up for me or made me unhappy? You would look for a different set. But since you're looking for the good things, because that's the, the belief that people have and that's what the culture supports, people are able to find evidence that fits that uh, and in that way convince themselves that, uh, yes, this, this, this was a positive effect. Um, is there anything uh, else in terms of the interaction of uh, culture and individual that does that? No, I think we've, within the limited time span <laughs> that we have available, we've said it all, I think. Okay. Well, just to sum up then, uh, it's pretty clear that uh, having children has, uh, on average, across the population on various measures, a negative effect uh, on happiness, that uh, people with children are not as happy as, uh, as people without. 
Uh, and yet, people believe the contrary, believe that children increase happiness, and they're still eager to go on having uh, children. Uh, and a variety of explanations contribute to this. Probably the most important, though, I think, is that people want life to be meaningful. Uh, and our culture has helped people to construe children as a very powerful way uh, of adding meaning to life. And so uh, even though uh, having children may not actually increase happiness, as, as our culture would like us to believe, it does increase meaning. And that, uh, that's enough to help people doing it. So I think the, the long-term outlook, at least from our culture's point, is probably positive. We can count on people continuing to have children uh, for a, a long time to come. Well, thank you very much. Want more episodes like this? Don't forget to subscribe and get updates each week for the Free to Choose Media Podcast.